Isaiah 42 can be found on page 602 of your pew Bible. Our goal this morning is to go verse by verse through the entire chapter. Uh, we'll see if we can do that. I was only able to do seven verses at the first service. Uh, that's because I spent a lot of time reminding them about the context. And we're going to see if we can weave that in a little more in, in this service. But the context is not so different from chapters 1 through 12 that we've been dealing with, which has a lot to do with the life of King Hezekiah and his being a good king who repents of the evils of his father. But those evils are at his doorstep. They're at the gates of Jerusalem in the form of the armies of Assyria. And Hezekiah, being the righteous king who repents for the people and doesn't lift up his hand but lifts up his voice to pray to God for salvation, he is then the first fulfillment of most of Isaiah's prophecies about, well, God's servant, God's Christ, uh, God's son who's going to be born, who's going to save. Hezekiah looks like this. He fulfills it just incompletely. He wasn't sinless. He wasn't really born of a virgin. right? He, in fact, will make some pretty mediocre decisions at certain points later in his life. Jesus of Nazareth takes everything Hezekiah does and uh, multiplies it by 42. Uh, it puts an exponential mark on the end of it. It amplifies the entire thing, fulfills it. Okay. So what we're going to be seeing now today then is a sermon or a poem or two sermon poems that are about what God says to Hezekiah as his chosen king that are really about what God says to Jesus as his chosen king. That then is really about what God says to you as his chosen Christian. I want to try to see all of that if we can without too much distraction on the Hezekiah front, although it's a great story and it makes the whole thing kind of make sense. All right. So chapter 42, verse 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Uh, my servant in Isaiah is famous. If you go and study Isaiah at a theological school, you're going to hear about the servant songs of Isaiah. There are five of them. There's sections in the later half of the book. There are extended poems about this individual who God has chosen to be his savior. And when you read them, you're absolutely right to always think that's got to be Jesus. Because it does. It has to be Jesus. Paul is very clear. The whole Old Testament is yes in Jesus. There's nothing Jesus doesn't fulfill. But that doesn't mean that David didn't really kill Goliath or Jonah really wasn't swallowed by a big fish. Even though those things are fulfilled by Jesus, Jesus three days and nights in the grave, just like Jonah three days and nights in the fish, right? There's a fulfillment there, but it's a fulfillment of a history that did take place as a prophecy. And then again, Isaiah's prophecies are all around the life of this king, Hezekiah. So the my servant here is definitely Hezekiah, I think. Okay, you can debate me if you want, but I think it's definitely Hezekiah so that it can be about Jesus as the fulfillment. Where Hezekiah fell short, Jesus completed it. Jesus completed it on God's behalf for you so that God can say to you, you are my servant. And that's the end goal of this entire thing here. And it's not just to believe that Jesus is awesome and far away. It's to believe that Jesus is awesome and near to you, even having sent his own Holy Spirit 
to renew your mind, to deplatform you from the lies of the world, and to exhort you, call you, set you up, and sanctify you as his set-apart servant. Right? Who is then, same verse, next title, chosen, right? So the servant doesn't choose the master. The master chooses the servant. I like the way that the New King James, which I use personally, this is the ESV, the New King James calls that chosen. It says, my elect one, my elect one. I like that because it gets to the nugget of one of the theological categories. The, what we know about the Bible that's true, that has many verses and we used to argue about, and now we have it written down so we don't have to argue about it anymore. That's called doctrine, right? Election is a major epicenter of Lutheran doctrine. And the elect one, Jesus, fulfilling the election of Hezekiah that he left incomplete in order that he might elect you is Christianity. And that is Christianity. Jesus comes to make the Old Testament complete and chooses you to be complete in him, with him, from him, as his gift forever. Awesome. Huh? So, I want you to see all of that here, but now I don't want to, as we go forward, lose sight of Jesus fulfills this. I don't want to lose sight of Hezekiah was there too, but we're going to really leave Hezekiah behind quite a bit. We're going to try to keep on the Jesus fulfills this, but what I want to hear is how, because Jesus fulfilled it, what it means to you now, that you're the servant, that you're chosen, because it's, it's good news. Yeah, so this is encouraging stuff. I have put my spirit on him. There it is. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the divine Godhead mystery from ages who was there at creation has been put inside of you. No matter what goes wrong the rest of your life, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> it's all going to be okay because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. The earth can fall into the sea or burn in fire. You're going to be okay. More than that, you're going to see you're going to be at peace. You're going to know what God is really thinking by means of the words of the Bible, right? Which is how God's going to choose to put his spirit inside of you. So that he will bring forth justice to the nations, it says. And of course, Jesus does this, justifying us with his death and resurrection. Which is now words that are in your heart, that are in fact brought forth here today at St. Paul Lutheran Church on this corner and the outside of Rockford, justice amongst the nations, right here. Being here, that's fulfilled. You're hearing the word of God come to you. You're believing that it's true. You're going to walk out, and you're not going to forget all of it. You're going out amongst the nations as God's justification. Yeah, That's good news. That's exciting. You're a banner. You're an ensign. You're a symbol. Every Christian is a prophet, a priest, and a king, not by his own reason or strength, nor by his own will, but simply because that is what Jesus is. And you're tied to Jesus now. So get excited about it. It's kind of a cool thing. Now, verse 2, a little tougher to apply directly. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. And I always kind of struggle. Jesus did preach in the streets sometimes. So what's this really getting at here? Yeah? And the idea is that Jesus doesn't come as the servant of God and act like everybody expects. He doesn't rally a bunch of guys to him to form a posse to throw off the Romans. He's not busy stirring up trouble anywhere. He just speaks the truth. And of course, the truth causes some trouble for those who don't like it. But the idea here is then your being the servant of God isn't about go out there and get busy, do something right now. Uh, no, no, no. 
there's a there's a patience to this thing, right? There's a calmness to this thing. And that calmness has a lot to do with being able to see others, right? So verse three says, a bruised reed he will not break. This is a great thing to know Jesus thinks about you. You're bruised and about to break, guess what? He's not gonna finish it. He sees you down there about to crumple. He doesn't want to break you. He sees you bruised. He's going to be, be calm to you. He's going to observe you and see you as you are. Right? Uh, a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. You feel like you're about to sputter out, just can't do it anymore. He is not going to destroy you. Right? That's a great thing to know God thinks about you. No matter how bad it gets, whatever day you're on. And then also... To see that, that freedom that you have, to know that he's not going to squelch you. If you manage to ever just get that out of your mouth in a bad time with someone else listening, something bad happens to you, someone else is watching, you go, yes, but Jesus is with me. You know what that does to that other person? It encourages them. It builds them up. Your word of remembering who you are for the sake of your faith then becomes not merely about you, but about that other burning wick or, or faintly glimmering person broken person, bruised person nearby, who just by proximity to your trust in Jesus suddenly has trust in Jesus in their life. That's how conversion happens. Verse four, he will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. I mean, Jesus set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He didn't back down from anyone or anybody. He said, let this cup pass, Father, but I'll do it if I have to. You know, they shouted at him, come down off that cross. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm supposed to be here. Huh? He did not in ever any way look back from what he had done already. And the, the verse is about the future. He will not grow weary. So having died, that brutal death he died, having risen from the dead, having ascended to the highest heaven and managed all of history just fine up to this point for the sake of his church, he's not even the least bit bothered by what's going on in the United States right now. Not in the sense that he's worried about it. He's not worried about it. He may not like it. In fact, I'll tell you, he doesn't like it. And I'll even tell you it's his wrath. That is a country we're under his wrath because we don't believe in him. We don't believe what he says. We live according to our own passions. So he's given us over to our own passions and it looks pretty wretched right now. Yeah, But he hasn't grown faint or discouraged about saving you through the midst of this. Don't even, don't even let his wrath be something that throws you off. His wrath for you as a Christian just makes more room for your faith. That's what it does. Uh, if, he, if he destroys the nation you live in, all you have to do is pray more. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's the result of it. That's the good news. Oh, everything went bad. Look at me. I have to pray. That's good. Yeah, that's good. He does not grow faint or discouraged. And then you can know because you're in him. Therefore, that's also the Holy Spirit's promise to you. That you will not grow faint and discouraged walking through this journey toward the final destination of your life in the kingdom, which is coming. That's a promise. It's a promise. But, but, but pastor, I feel discouraged. I didn't say you won't feel it. <laughs> I said it won't beat you. It can't beat you because you're Jesus' servant, because you're inside of Jesus. He's the elect one. You're part of him now. Yeah. So he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. A little bit about the coastlands is like the people farthest away are hungering for the word of God. And that's us, actually. We're about as far away from Jerusalem as you can get, give or take. Yeah? And here we are, hungering for the word of God. Thus says Jesus, the Lord, verse 5. This next verse is filled with titles of who he is as he's about to speak. 
We're not going to go into the details of these titles, um, but you do see a distinction between heaven and earth and breath, which is an interesting set of categories for you uh, you Hebrew scholars out there. Uh, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth, that's number two, and what comes from it, who gives breath, that also is the word spirit, to the people on it and spirit, probably a different word for spirit, there's more than one, to those who who walk on it. Let's kind of leave that behind. Those are the titles of God who's speaking. Here's what he says. Verse six, I am the Lord, which they would have heard, not as the Lord, but as if I say, I am Jesus Christ. That's how they heard this name back then. It's the name of God, the proper name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah, right? Um, I am Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear that as if that's who's talking right here. Although, if you take a step back, you can also say, I am the Holy Spirit. Or it could say, I am the Father who created you. All three of those are true reference points for the Lord. And when this text is talking to Jesus, which it does, he's the servant of God first before us. Yeah. Then indeed, I, the Father, speak to the Son. That's true. And I'm asking you to hold two ideas together here. I know it might feel like a paradox. It is. Uh, This is the Father speaking to the Son, but it is also, because you're in the Son, the Father speaking through the Son to you. That's the edge I want to bring out right now, right? So I am Jesus. I have called you in righteousness. Now, two powerful words there. Called you. We just did for Advent, uh, the midweek services, called out. Called out. Ecclesia, the Greek word for church, means called out. I've called you. The heart of being a Christian is not that you did something, but you were busy doing the wrong things. And this voice from heaven called your name and said, look at Jesus. I have called you in righteousness. That's a justification, not your own. That is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world that Jesus achieved for you. That is the the good balance of all design that God ever had. He's called you into that. You don't have to do it. You get to get it. It's given. I am Jesus. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Man, put right take a note card. Write verse 6 down and put it on your fridge. Look at it this week. I am Jesus. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Wherever you go, wherever you are, Jesus, God, is with you right there, closer than the shadow under your feet, more real than the beating of your heart, in order to make you his own. Forever. You have the power of God walking with you wherever you go to give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Now, again, where is that first? It's got to be the New Testament in Jesus' body and blood that we eat and drink as the forms of bread and wine. That's the new covenant in his blood. But guess what? When you eat that and you leave, it doesn't stay here. It goes with you. 
So that you feasting upon the New Testament in the Lord's Supper is you being a covenant in Christ's blood for the sake of the whole world, a light to the nations sitting here right now. I know they don't think it's a light. They're all driving by, busy buying more stuff. But it doesn't change the fact that this hill is a light to the nations because Jesus is here to call you. And that calling is a covenant not only for you, but for all. Do you hear the hope in this? The potency of this? Yeah? Uh, Verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind. And of course, Jesus definitely healed the eyes of men born blind from birth. Something no one had ever seen or even heard. No prophet of old did that. Jesus did it. But I know you've also sung the song Amazing Grace. And I know you know what it means when it says, I was blind, but now I see. So again, to open eyes that are blind, that's... Your eyes first, and then from your eyes to see the blindness of the world, the madness of the nations. That you, hearing the word of God, speaking the word of God, praying the word of God, are one with the Christ whose covenant it is to save them in these words. To bring out prisoners from dungeon and the prison, those who sit in darkness, from prison, those who sit in darkness. Which, of course, can be about the grave. When Jesus destroys the grave, he leaves the captivity in its train. Death can no longer contain you either. That darkness of the valley of the shadow of death isn't what it used to be before you believed such things. But also, your mind, before you believed such things, that was a place of of utter darkness. Kind of a a lost idea, I think, these days that... uh, most people are operating their day-by-day thought processes with not a single word of God anywhere in their minds. Not a single word of God goes through their minds. It's great darkness. They can look like they're doing fine. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear. It's, it says that if you see the wicked and they're doing fine, the reason is because God has left them. And so they're going to run straight into hell with they're doing fine. Yeah. Darkness. You've been called out of this darkness. You've been called to see the light, to be the light, to have the light, to hold the light. Christ is the center, not you. But you stand in his light now, not in shadow. All right. So verse 8, he continues. Again, this is God speaking to his chosen servant. Uh, I am Jesus Christ, or the Father, if you prefer. That is my name. I like Jesus Christ because it's a name. (laughs) Uh, That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Uh, Here's a little bit of a sucker punch at Judah. Now, even under Hezekiah, the high places are not removed. Even with Assyria, that nation that comes against them, sent away. Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, is right around the corner with a lot of Baal worship coming their way. And so God is saying, like, yeah, you're not going to get away with false worship. It's not going to happen. I won't give my praise to idols. Uh, Verse 9, before the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. That is to say, you know, I told you Assyria was going to come. I told you Jesus would save you. So now, because there's more story that happens with Babylon and Egypt and a bunch of other foreign powers, he's like, look, I'm here with the truth. Why are you listening to these carved idols and these false prophets? kind of the end of the statement there, very key to the, uh, the context of the story, okay? Uh, but now, in verse 10, Isaiah kind of springs out into this great shouting song. 
he heard everything that I just said is good news, basically, right? God speaks, this is how I treat my servant. And Isaiah says, wow, that's such good news. I'm going to write a poem about singing about it, all right? So, so here that is, verse 10. Sing to Jesus a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to Jesus and declare his praise to the coastlands. And then the end of the song, I really, really like the end of the song. The part about the coastlands singing, that's all neat. Whatever Kadar is, I don't know where Kadar is. It's a very important place in the Holy Land. I know that. But, you know, that's kind of cool. But verse 13, man, this gets the, uh, I don't know, proto-American manhood thing going in me a little bit. Jesus Christ goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Remember, he just called you his servant. And we're singing about how then he, like a man running into warfare, is looking at calling you and bringing you safely to the promised land. Yeah, I love that idea that he is that much of a hero. That word has been watered down quite a bit. Uh, that much uh, of, a, of a man, honestly. I love it. It makes me glad to call Jesus my king and to think that he is in charge of the armies that are taking care of everything. And that I get to be just a a piece in that. I get a a role in the story. Mine happens to be pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, right? What's yours? But it's the same story. And the mighty man who is the mighty God who goes out to war to fight for his own, he's there for you. So sing about it. Yeah. Talk about it to yourself. Write that one down. Put it on your fridge. Now, he... This mighty man of war, in verse 14, I think, there's no quotes there, but uh, King James has quotes. I I think now he speaks, okay? So so God, who is going forth to support his servant, you, Christ on the cross, he speaks. He says, verse 14, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. From what? Well, from pouring out wrath on Judah, from saving the world. Both things, okay? So now, since I've decided to get busy on it, uh, now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. Notice the strange dichotomy. He was just talking about a man in sword-driven, bloody warfare and how he's just like that. And now he's just like a woman giving birth to a son. Talk about two polar opposite ideas just put beside each other, right? That's interesting. But what is the woman doing? This isn't like the happy little moment here, right? I mean, some of you haven't been there yet, but let me tell you, at the end, it hurts, okay? Um, It does. And there's probably going to be some yelling, and it's going to be travail. And the Bible uses this to talk about, more, more than just here, what going through this life is like compared to the next, that this life is like that travail of a woman in labor, but that our resurrection in Jesus is like the moment after where, if I might use my wife, she didn't remember a piece of that pain. She was like, give me that baby. I want to hug you. Oh, how beautiful. I remember. First words about Chloe. Oh, how beautiful. Grabbed her. So 
And that's the idea here, right? That he is at that moment where he is going to be active doing something that isn't easy, right? but he's going to do it. Verse 15, I will lay waste mountains and hills. Notice the destruction talk. This is like destroy the earth talk. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. Weird. Right, destruction, because now it's going to get, not we, not destruction, now it's going to get kind of good, but not entirely good. It's, it's a strange bit here. Uh, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. That sounds like it could be good. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. That, that sounds really good. I will turn the darkness before them into light. That sounds excellent. The rough places into level ground. That's also good news. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame, who trust in carved idols and say to metal images, you are our gods. Bad news. As you catch that, it went from bad news to good news to bad news. And as a reader, the question is, which one am I supposed to hear? And the answer is all of it, but what I want you then to kind of have this be your picture. The bad news of God's wrath against idolatry means he's going to destroy that throughout history, rise and fall of nations, and on the last day. And you know that's coming. Mountains are going to be destroyed. Seas are going to boil. All this kind of stuff, right? Those are images to talk about. Just topsy-turvy doesn't go the way you want. But in the middle of it, with you not even knowing it, blind as you are, he's going to be leading you by grace and through faith so that you are not just survivors, but conquerors, overcomers of this. Uh, but verse 18 now shifts again. Okay, So we just had this poem, a song of praise, followed by him saying, I've held my peace. Now I'm going to get busy with the wrath that also saves those who believe, right? All run that all through the cross again. It's all about Jesus ultimately, right? Now he turns and he starts to kind of talk to the idolaters. Right? Uh, hear you deaf. This isn't really, I don't think, uh, a, a good thing. Like, come here, deaf man, I'm going to heal you. This is more like you're, you've got your ears plugged, so I'm going to call you deaf now. I'm going to point out how you got your eyes closed so you're pretending nobody's there. Right? Uh, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. You want to think that that's a call that you're going to respond to. Yes, I will. But it seems like uh, what happens next is is not saying anyone's listening. Because then now is the servant who's blind. This is really kind of a circle here. Verse 19, who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Okay, so first it's hear you deaf, turn and be healed. Do you see how deaf and blind my servant is? I'm going to just be, be very blunt here and tell you, I can't tell you I'm sure how this one makes sense. I can't. I think I can, but I don't want anyone to, this is like a moment, like Pastor Fisk is stumped a bit here by this poem, all right? Now, here's my best guess at it, though, right? Listen, you who are blind, he's calling those who don't believe to believe, knowing they won't, because if they would look at Jesus, they would think he is blind, 
and so they wouldn't follow him. Look at Jesus, crucified, folly to the nations, a stumbling block to the Gentiles. Who is as much of an idiot as to die in his 33rd year when he was at the peak of power and popularity just a year before that? Who is such a bad moral teacher that he walks around and says, I'm God, right? I mean, this guy was an idiot if you're an unbeliever. If you're an unbeliever. And I think that's what Isaiah is saying. Right? You know, you can't believe in Jesus. You don't believe anything he says. You think he's wrong. How are you going to believe in Jesus? And, and again, this is where Judah is at this time. And it will lead to their destruction shortly hereafter. All right. So, uh, continuing on with the text. Verse 21, even though the cross is folly, right? Verse 21, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. Now make no mistake, salvation by grace means God's doing it and you don't deserve it. But for the sake of his righteousness, he's going to do it. That's how good he is. Uh, we're bad, he's good, he's so good, he takes the bad and makes it good again. Uh, for the sake of his righteousness, his law, his word. Verse 22, but this people, this is Judah now, this is bad news. Uh, this is the unbelieving congregation, right? the unbelieving family. This people plundered, this is a people plundered and looted, which is saying that the Babylonian captivity, so far as God is concerned, has already come. Right? All, uh, all the things they could have are already taken away, even though in history it's going to take a while to come to pass. This is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. Now, again, I think you can take a trip to Walmart and you can walk up and down the aisles and you can, you can watch what people are doing. You can listen to what they're saying and you can read this verse out loud. This is a people plundered and looted. And you can believe that the spiritual darkness which is over this country is really a war. And maybe again, hmm, well, go back and remind yourself that you're the light and thank God that he's with you. That yours isn't the only angel in the room right now yeah uh, too many have become plunder with none to rescue spoil with none to say restore i mean our best hopes are the republican and the democratic party we're all doomed and i mean it except for that we're not we're christians we're gonna be fine <laughs> we're gonna be fine it's all for our good at the end of this thing right but but most people are living in a consumption in which they don't they can't even put their head up long enough to see such things to hear such things they're, just, they're blind right Verse 23 asks, well, who's going to even notice? Who among you will give ear to this? Who will attend and listen for the time to come? Right? And, and again, for Judah's time under Manasseh, no one did. They lost the Bible entirely. It was gone. You know, it took Josiah discovering it in the temple to bring it back. Uh, who gave, now, I love verse 24 now. So you think it's bad. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderer? This is so important. We can do this one just by itself. When bad things happen to you, who let it happen? Was it not Jesus against whom we have sinned? That verse is like always true. It's always, it's always true, right? Who let it happen? Well, Jesus, and we've sinned against him. Oh, okay. So then what's so bad about it? Does Jesus do bad things? No, he only does righteous things. Oh, so then what's righteous about it? Well, again, if I confess my sins, that's a good start. Yeah? Now I have a place for God to pour his grace. 
The point here being, again, nothing's outside of Jesus' control. There are no accidents. When he destroyed Judah, he had a reason, and it was the faith that would come as a result. And so if we find ourselves in topsy-turvy times, again, this can be your family, this can be your congregation, this can be your city, it can be your state, it can be your country, it can be the whole globe. Those topsy-turvy times, Jesus put them there on purpose in order for us to see that Jesus is in charge. And then remembering that, it's, again, not much to be afraid of, really. Not really, you know. world could end this afternoon. That would be better. It's hard. It's hard to feel that, though, isn't it? But it would be better. All right. Was it not the Lord in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey? So he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. I mean, if you want to take that straight to the devil, you can. Right? Every, every punishment God gives only makes him harden himself more, just like Pharaoh. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that then is all evil in the world, all unbelievers in the world. God is sending message after message after message, and they just, they just puff themselves up and get more angry. Right? But you... Chosen ones, you servants who are inside of Jesus Christ, you have all of this stuff from earlier in the chapter that should encourage you again, right? To know that even though you live amongst a people of unclean lips who harden their hearts and will not hear the word of God and are just actively bringing down destruction on themselves, you have been made a covenant. You're inside the body of Jesus. And that's not going to end just because uh, things get weird. You know, again, at, at Walmart. So I, I want to, we've got a little extra time here. I really want to look at Rev, uh, Romans 12 for just a moment here to close. So Romans 12, we we had read a few moments ago. This is starting on page 947 of your pew Bible. You got to turn to the back. You remember when we did the readings, I said they're kind of the same, right? There's an encouragement here for you to believe that Jesus is inside of you by means of his Holy Spirit, that all the promises of God that are given to Jesus are now yours. And the result of this is you get to say so. You get to remember it. You get to believe it's true. It gets to be your identity as you walk through this veil of tears. And so Paul exhorts you, well, then grab it with both hands. None of this is about how you need to stand and hear Jesus knocking at the door and open the door of your heart and go in with Jesus and now you'll really live the Christian life. Like that kind of nonsense gets distracting. What this is about is just knowing that inside the body of Christ is freedom and that freedom is to hear his word every day. To have it be upon your lips as knowledge that combats the wicked world around you. And that this life of worship as a body, you know, both us together and you individually, is God's own war against the devil in victory. Every moment, every step, every breath of your life. Oh, it's just it's nothing but good news. Uh, verse 12. Or chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Notice, by the mercies of God, none of this is what you're doing. 
You're responding to what God is doing, but God's making you respond. And it's a good thing by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, I think we live kind of disembodied in 21st century America. We spend so much time looking at screens. Have you ever watched someone looking at a screen? They're not in the room with you. They're somewhere else, right? We spend so much time disembodied in little brain games that we play. We forget how important our bodies are. Uh, how much of everything you do all the time is your body. And you can make the case that therefore it's probably a good idea to take care of your body, right? Use it or lose it. That's all fine. But the point here is not about nutrition or exercise or anything like that. The point is to present your body as a sacrifice to God. You're going to sacrifice your body. How? Worship. Worship. And it's, it's this simple. You're going to go home this week. Let's see if I can kind of semi-prophesy this. You're going to go home this week. And sometime this week, you're going to remember that I said you should open your Bible. And deep in your heart, there's going to be a little part of it that says, not right now. Got something else to do first. Some shame, some guilt, something like that. And the moment you don't listen to that, and you go open your Bible anyway, guess what you just did? You just sacrificed your body. Your body wanted to do something completely different. And you're like, no, body. You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what pastor encouraged me. God wants me to do. Yeah? I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice. You open up that Bible, you read the Bible out loud, and now you really are offering a living sacrifice of, well, speaking the word of God. Like the prophets of old, into which you've been baptized, and is indeed your, your, your act of worship. I and mean, that's what he's going to say next, right? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Huh? To use your tongue for good and not for evil. And this involves not being conformed to this world. Verse 2 there. Um, probably make a lot of hay out of that one. You know, being conformed to the world is... It's hard not to be. The number of messages you get every single day saying, do this, don't do that, watch this, buy this, go here, be afraid, get strong, get weak, on and on and on and on and on, right? Uh, it's trying to conform you. And I another story from family. I know if you've got little kids, you know, one child asks for something, you say no, but the second child come asks for the same thing, you say no. Sometime that afternoon, the fourth child asking for the third time for the same thing, you're like, yeah, sure, whatever, right? It just wears you down over time. And that's what the messages from the world do, blaring at you all the time. They wear you down. You don't realize how much you listen. So what is Paul exhorting you to here? Just, just try to fight back. Just a little. Try to fight back. Now, don't be conformed. Don't let them tell you what to do. You're either in control or being controlled. You really want the man controlling you? Huh? Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, if you open that Bible as a sacrifice of your body to pray it out loud, it's going to transform your mind over time. Not that moment. You know, it's not, not superpower. You didn't find the, the, the you know, trans, uh, transistor ring or whatever is going to put a cape on your back and make you fly. It's, it's not all in an instant. Instead, over time, that bodily sacrifice of using your tongue to speak the word of God is going to change your head. Your head is going to be built of the word of God instead of a bunch of messages from the devil. And then, guess what? You're going to see. What are you going to see? Others, their needs, 
their wants, their lacks, their weaknesses, their pride. And you're even in there going to see their pride. You're like, that's pride, but I'm not going to get mad about it. I'm going to see how I can be good to them, right? That comes from the transformed mind. And again, if, if the only messages you're ever getting are, are not from the Bible, you can only expect you're going to be conformed to them. Yeah. So the encouragement there, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, we could say more, of course, about all these things, but I think that's a, a good place to close this morning. Again, dive bombing into Isaiah 42. It's a little bit different from chapters 1 through 12, yeah? Uh, but some of the same concepts kind of builds on those concepts. Uh, in the coming weeks, we've got just some more lectionary texts. And then again, looking forward to the Gospel of Mark with you, uh, starting in Transfiguration, Transfiguration Sunday. In the name of Jesus, amen.